Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly magazine in America. Since 1850, they've provided readers with a unique Since 1850, they've provided readers with a unique perspective on the issues that drive the national and international conversation. They've been home to some of the most distinguished, distinctive voices in literature, from Barbara Ehrenreich to Virginia Soulsmith. And now there's a podcast. Join host Violet Luca along with her colleagues and contributing writers as they do a deep dive into these issues every week. You can subscribe to the podcast on Substack at harpersmagazine.substack.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. Maybe you're like me and you grew up with this idea that at some point in high school or college, you'd pick what you wanted to do, and then, well, you'd do it for the rest of your life. I think a lot of people around my age internalize that idea from their parents or their grandparents who often did figure out what they were going to do, even if it wasn't something they ever felt like they chose, per se. And then they kept doing that thing for decades. My granddad, one career. My dad, one career. There's a lot of structural reasons why they were able to do that. And even though the economy has changed so much over the last 50 years, that expectation of one career somehow has not. At least not for a lot of people who've told me about the quiet shame they felt having to quote-unquote start over in a new career. But it's not starting over. You're just taking a different turn and taking all your knowledge and experience with you to be applied in different and surprising ways. You're pivoting. And I know that that sounds like business speak, which is something we, we try to avoid on this podcast, but sometimes business speak can do something valuable for our brains. That and hearing from other people who've pivoted and realized, yes, it's hard, but it can also be amazing. Trust me, I know from experience, and so does our co-host, whose voice NPR listeners will definitely recognize. My name is Elsa Chang, and I am one of the hosts of NPR's All Things Considered. So hosting a beloved national radio show was not always your plan. You were a lawyer into your 30s. <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> so what's your own story? I also had like a real career pivot. So what's your story of making one? It's so funny because I feel now the journalism thing was this just very fortuitous, happy accident. And a lot of people who have career transitions don't get to say that. But I I was always convinced that I was going to be a lawyer. Like I was one of those people in high school who did like competitive speech and debate. And I have these Taiwanese immigrant parents who are like, well, if you're not going to be a scientist or a, a computer programmer or a Wall Street banker, then, and you like words, well, I guess then you're just going to be a lawyer. And I kind of happily bought into that plan. I like the idea of holding court I guess, literally, like in a courtroom (laughs) (laughs) and giving these fiery speeches to a judge or a jury. And I actually, I loved law school. I loved clerking, but it was at the law firm. I was at this large litigation firm uh, in San Francisco. It's called Munger, Tolson, Olson. And I self-selected into this place because the people who worked at Munger, who, who work at Munger today, are some of the most talented lawyers I've ever met in my life. I mean, these are like former Supreme Court clerks, uh, former federal prosecutors. These are people who literally, I believe, could do 
anything they want to in life, but they all chose to be at this law firm. So while it was like a little rough at the beginning, I thought to myself, I just need to stay here longer Mm -hmm. and I will discover the thing that's keeping them all here. But it was a bad fit. I, I joke to people that being a litigator is like the worst combination of being really bored and really stressed at the same time. <laughs> and beyond that, though, like law firm life, it didn't tap into like the pieces of myself I liked best. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this until later. Like I couldn't put into words at the time. But, you know, there's a part of me that loves to be curious and follow my curiosity wherever it takes me. There's a part of me that loves, loves, loves getting to know people from all walks of life, like really get to know them, really sit down and get into life with them. And then I'm just, you know, I can be this crazy, free-spirited, whatever, you know, say whatever I want off the top of my head and not carefully think about every sentence that comes out of my mouth. And I felt like being that person didn't fit into the culture of a large law firm. And so I just felt so unhappy. But I was someone up until then, this is now like my early 30s, where I had just followed like a single track yep. my entire life. Like yep. I was that straight A student. I was like that machine in high school and I was a machine as a student in college and law school. And when I got spit out into the real world at my first real job, it was mind blowing and scary to me to discover, oh my God, like even when you follow all the steps that you have like set out to achieve, you don't necessarily check off the most important box and that is happiness. Totally. And so I'm at this law firm and I think I don't want this life. So I just ran away. I basically like gave, I think it was one week's notice. Wow. I had absolutely no plan, no plan. And that was the first time in my life I never had a plan. And to do something so drastic, quit a huge job without a plan was so uncharacteristic of me. But I didn't know where I was running towards. I knew I wanted to run away from law, but not running towards anything in particular. So I took a few months off. I'm living in San Francisco at this point. And not only did I not have a job, like a place to go every day, I had just gotten dumped by my boyfriend. Um, I had just gotten foot surgery. So I was walking around in this like stiff walking cast. So I was like limping around. My parents were also extremely pissed at me, like devastated with my choice because they were so proud that I was a lawyer. And it was the first time in my life that I was grappling with my parents being ashamed of me, Mm -hmm. really disappointed in me. So I had all of this swirling around and I was just kind of hanging out in my apartment and I knew that wasn't a healthy place to be day in and day out. So I signed up for an internship at KQED, the NPR member station in San Francisco, wow. because I was like, you know what? I can't just stay inside all the time. And I was sort of a public radio listener. Like I wasn't a devoted public radio listener, but I would listen to these people on air locally in San Francisco and think, oh, they seem smart and down to earth and engaged with the world. Maybe if I just like hung out at a place with people like that, I can figure out my life, like Mm -hmm. slowly but surely. I arrive at KQED. I remember like the interview, first of all, for the internship, they were like, are you sure you want this internship? Like, first of all, it's unpaid. Uh, You are like way overqualified. And I would be interning with 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, people who are still in college, answering the phones, taking notes. And I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. The other interns got such a kick that I was there. They were like, what are you even doing? doing here answering the phones with us but I ended up having such a blast at that internship I just I felt such freedom 
to jump from topic to topic. Like, you know, in litigation, you could stay on a case for years mm -hmm. and it can be the most boring, excruciatingly boring case in the world. But yep. if you're on it, you're on it. And in journalism, I mean, if, if a story ceases to be important or interesting or, or, or relevant, then you got to get out of that story and find another story, right? And I, I thought that that was really liberating. Um, I was a booker, meaning like I pre-interviewed guests yeah. for the show. Yeah. And I love just being able to deep dive into one topic, write a bunch of prep on it, prepare the host on it, and then move on to another topic. And what I also loved when I was pre-interviewing, what, what I began to see the seeds of is that connection you make in an interview. And how, like, if you ask the right questions and you approach with the right tone, the right curiosity, the right openness, you can actually help people become the most interesting versions of themselves. Totally. There's, there's a collaboration in it. it. It doesn't have to be adversarial. Sometimes it, it needs to be. It, it needs to be more confrontational. But sometimes you're helping someone actualize the best version of themselves they can be. And I loved that. I love that piece of interviewing. And so, sorry, this is such a long-winded answer. No, I love but it. That's, <laughs> that's how I decided, like, I want to do more of this. And they were like, all right, then maybe you should go back to school. And so I did. I went to Columbia Journalism School in my early 30s. And that's how I eventually started the trajectory into public radio at NPR. So there are a few things that I will note here. One is that I think a lot of people will identify with or recognize parts of their own path and the like, oh, I thought that I just wanted the best of the best, right? And I followed that trajectory. And maybe that was internally motivated. Maybe it was more externally motivated. Maybe it was a mix of all those things. But then you wake up at some moment and you're like, did I choose this choice? Right. Is this actually what I want? Yeah. And I think that like, I love your phrasing of I realized that the job wasn't activating like the best parts of me because I think sometimes we fall back on the like I'm not passionate about my work or I don't love my job and those are they're sticky phrases that I think difficult to get our heads around. Yeah. Instead, if we think about not you know, no one needs to be in love with their job all the time. Like exactly. some people are, but a lot of people don't have to be. But you shouldn't think that your job doesn't activate the parts of you that are most valuable, that are most beloved to you. Yeah. And so the last thing that I'll note is something that I think a lot of people are either anxious about or can't envision, which is, do I have to go backwards to start over? And not even thinking of it as backwards, right? It's just like, I have to go somewhere else. And there's if you've gotten to the point where you're in like your early 30s or later in your career, there's something terrifying about going back to that place that you feel like you've already gone through that gauntlet. And it's the language that does such a disservice. Like going totally. backwards is yeah. the wrong way to look at it. You're going linearly. I mean, gone yeah. are the days. I, I meet very few people these days who have just like one career, one company. Totally. It's those twists and turns, those pivots and tweaks that you go through along the journey of a whole life. You know, you can have multiple careers. And even mm -hmm. what do you define as a career is its own malleable thing. You know, like in retrospect, my journey makes sense because, oh, like in law, you learn how to like question people and you learn how to, you know, poke holes in people's arguments. That leads into journalism. I mean, but at the time I was bumbling around. I didn't know what the next step was going to be. But here's the thing. The heart of it is 
you spend so much time working, right? Like most jobs are at least eight hours a day. Yeah. They're often longer than that. That's a huge percentage of your time. I feel like if you have the choice to choose your work, and I know that that in itself is a privilege, not everybody can choose their work, but if you have the choice, you owe it to yourself not only to be happy, but you owe it to yourself not even to be like mildly bored all the time. And I told my mom, when my parents were so pissed at me, so angry, so disappointed at me, they were like, why would you throw away your law career? You just spent the last eight years of your life investing in this law career, right? If you count the years in law school, the years you clerked and then went into a law firm, that was like about eight years at the time when I quit. And I was like, if I love what I do and I hope to find the thing that I love, I hope that I will be working into, I don't know, my 70s, maybe 80s, yeah. health permitting. That's like five decades. <laughs> You want me to stick to something because I spent the last eight years doing it for the next five decades? Are you serious? It's a way of thinking about education and experience as only useful to that particular vocation, right? 100%. And yep. I, I really struggled for a while once I left academia to think of like, oh, did I waste time on that PhD, right? Especially yeah. since I moved into journalism and I saw people who had gone, you know, who didn't have necessarily any degree and were making it in journalism. And I was mad about the student debt, most of all, but I was also mad about like, I spent all of this time and I delayed adulthood in all of these significant ways. But now I really think of that PhD as teaching me how I approach the world, right? Texturing my thinking, like teaching me how to think. So I, I have more gratitude I'm still mad about the student debt, but I, uh, <laughs> yes. but I have more gratitude and more, I think, like distance from it. And I think that's useful. It's hard sometimes to do it immediately, but I think it's really useful to think of it as experience, not as a waste. Okay. Okay. There is so much to talk about here, like so much, but I want to get into our questions. This first one is about getting off the path you started on right out of college. This is from Audrey. I'm 29 and work as a product manager at Amazon. I happened into product management when I graduated college. An alum was interviewing for their startup on campus, and I grabbed one of those little paper danglies from a bulletin board for a slot. I never actually chose product management. I was just 22 and needed a job, and then it was always more convenient to keep doing it than switch roles. Seven years later, it's turned into a career, and I'm left wondering if it's what I really want to do. The problem is, I don't know what else I would want to do. What jobs are out there? I don't need work to be my identity, but I don't want sitting down to work each day to be the struggle that it is now. I don't have to love it, but I wouldn't mind liking it. I don't want to look back and have my career be something that just happened to me. I want to choose it with intention. The only problem is I don't know what I want. How do people choose? Especially when many careers require significant investment, like school. (laughs) I love that we're starting this question because this is maybe the hardest question about career transition, right? Like, well, a lot of people often start at the point where they know what they don't want to do, but they don't know what they do want to do. So how do you pick that? And um, I can just, you know, speak from my own process. Yeah. When I knew I was very unhappy at the job, well, first of all, that is when, like, I was at 
I mean, about 26, 27 at the time when I was like getting very profoundly unhappy. That's when I started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life very mm, regularly. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding at a very basic level why it was so hard to even contemplate quitting. Then I systematically set up informational interviews with people I admired who did jobs that I wasn't sure I would like, but I thought, let me just talk to them about it. And I'm kind of conflicted about the whole informational interview thing. Um, yeah, you get to talk for like, you know, an hour or so, but I feel like you need to experience the work to really know if it will click with you, but you need to start somewhere. So maybe just having a bunch of conversations with people and talking to them about what their jobs are like, why they pick that job, what they hate about their job, always ask what they hate about their job. Yeah. But I have to say, like, I couldn't really jump into what do I want to do with my life until I quit. And I know a lot of people don't have that luxury. I had yeah. some savings. I just knew that I couldn't think carefully and intentionally about what the next steps would really be if I was working 12-hour days and often weekends. Yep. Um, so I quit. And I actually signed up for an online career coach that gave me the structured way to think about what I was good at, what I enjoyed, and what I wanted to avoid. So I took like a battery of skills tests and personality tests. I answered questions about like what kind of work environment I would thrive in. Did I like working in groups or did I prefer a more solitary environment? Did I like long-term projects or daily changing projects? Was I someone who liked to work at a desk indoors or was I somebody who needed to be in motion all the time, maybe outside, a mix of all of that? And it was really eye-opening to go through this very deliberate, self-conscious, intentional process of getting into the guts of what work I would enjoy. And it made me realize that finding work you enjoy is a multi-layered thing. It's not just yeah. like the tasks. It's also what kind of people do you want to be surrounded by? What kind of literally, like what kind of environment do you want to be mm -hmm. in physically? Um, and what's your attention span like? Like I never thought about work in such a multifaceted way. And the most valuable insight I got from this online career program was that I really, really like to meet different kinds of people and connect mm. authentically with them. And I needed to find a vocation that allowed that constant personal connection. And then the next thing I also did, which this person may want to consider, is I asked my friends what yeah. they thought my greatest strengths were. And a lot of their answers coalesced on you're curious about people. You want to know people at a deep level. Also, they were like, you're a really great storyteller. Like, I love, as you can see, I'm like, just keep on talking and I can't stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love telling stories and I yeah. like to teach people things. But if I may, think of your job as an opportunity that can train you, that can require you to be the person you want to be. Yeah. Like, what I love about being a journalist, the, the reason I think it's sticking so well with me is it forces me. It requires of me to develop attributes that I want anyway as a person. Yeah. I want to be someone who's a good listener. I want to be empathetic. I want to be curious about the world. I want to be open to opposing viewpoints and open to having my mind changed. I want to make people feel comfortable talking to me to feel unguarded. Um, and so like, what can I do to help them open up? Like, these are all the things I want to be in life. And I literally have a job that helps me practice doing all of these things. And so I feel this continuity between the person I want to be and the person that's required of me in my day-to-day -day job.
Well, I like that the question asker has a job that a lot of people are like, what's that job? Like product <laughs> manager? It's a name that you hear and you're like, I don't know what that person does, but I guess that's a job. Uh, and I think that she should take that in mind as she thinks about, oh, I should ask the other people in my life who have jobs that I'm like, I don't really know what they do and ask them. Right. What is it that you do? What do you love about it? Like, what is animating about it, right? Exactly. Because, you know, I think, like, a thing that really comes forward in her question is, I don't know what jobs exist, right? Yeah. You just like, have to information <laughs> gather. And yeah. then also it's beyond that. And I know this is harder, but you, I, I, do, I do recommend it. You know, you do have to dip your toe a little bit and do the actual work, maybe either, yeah. even picking up a, a short-term internship or a volunteer position. At the very least, shadow somebody so you can see mm -hmm. kind of the day-to-day -day drudgery too, you know, because not every job's yeah. going to be 100% glamorous all the time. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's very hard to talk about jobs and work in a vacuum. You kind of have to do the thing a little bit yep. to test it out. So the last part of that question that I just want to address quickly is yeah. she says, like, I'm scared of things that require more school. And I think that if she does all of the things that we've suggested to try to get a feel for a lot of different jobs, mm -hmm. uh, gradually it will become apparent whether or not it is essential to, say, get a credential in some capacity, right, in order mm -hmm. to get your, your foot in the door. Like sometimes for people who want to get into – tech, like you need to take a coding boot camp of some capacity, you know. But I also think it's worth talking to people about whether or not the the schooling is necessary, right? 100%. Because I think sometimes when we like are interested in a field, and especially for high achievers, yes. the, the easiest thing to do is like, well, if I just enter a program, yes. that's the pathway to my job. And it is it is not necessarily the pathway to your job. I am so glad that you brought that up because so many people who self-select into law school have that yes. feel. They don't know what yes. they want to do with their law degree. But law school sounds respectable. It sounds mm -hmm. structured. It sounds like you're not wasting your life if you're in law school. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad you said what you said. And because I think if you're thinking about starting an educational program, you need to question whether you're you want to sign up for that program because it it assuages your need for certainty. Like yep. if I'm in a degree program, I must be on a track. I must be getting something done. Or are you actually in that program because you you know it's a crucial step to where you want to go? Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what this person is asking. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So yes, definitely collect as much information as you can. Because a lot of people ask me, like, do I need a J school degree to become a journalist? And no, you don't. But I know for me at the time in my life, when I went to J school, I had that thing in me where I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And I feel like if I go to school, at least somebody is paid full time to teach me to be a journalist. And that feels like more <laughs> secure. And I had the privilege, I had the savings to be mm. able to not work for nine months so I could be a student. Um, and not everybody has that. So I knew I was going to J school to assuage a need for like taking a concrete step, though I did learn a lot from J school and it was a great experience. It's just not something for everybody. Yeah. Our next question is from Jane and it's about explaining the pivot to others. I've been a social worker since getting my bachelor's degree in 2014, and I completed my master's in social work about four years ago. 
I'm burnt out and have been wrestling with the idea that social work is no longer the field for me for the past two years. I'm planning to make this year my last in this field, and I'm going to be looking for jobs that are a return to the kind of office work I did many years ago before I began my social work career, things like admin assistant or data entry. How do I explain this significant change in interviews and on my resume or cover letter? And how much should I share about my educational background when it isn't required or relevant to the position I'm applying for? I love this question because I am so biased. Like, I love that she's thinking about swerving and she has all these, like, different experiences and she's feeling self-conscious about it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is your power. Okay, Look, I come from the vantage point of journalism, so maybe I'm different. I love it when I'm interviewing a job applicant who has done different things in their past lives. I think it enriches and deepens people when they have worked in different worlds with different kinds of teams, gaining different kinds of skills. They're just honestly more interesting to me as a potential future colleague right at the outset. Yeah. There's two schools, I think, too, of the like whether or not you need to put your other degrees, like the master's in social work on your resume because I know that for myself who I have a PhD and for other people who have PhDs who are looking for jobs outside of academia sometimes it it's that signal of like overqualified doesn't really want to be here or whatever you know mm. desperate for a job mm. but mm. this person their question says that they have experience in this field that they're applying for like it's almost like they broke up with someone and they tried a different relationship and they're like no, I really love this other place, right? Or like moving back to their hometown. It's like, oh, I needed to have a different experience to realize how much I love my hometown. And so there's a way to really frame it as, I thought that this was something that I wanted to do, but I realized how much I appreciate this type of work. And I have experience in this type of work. And I think that that actually would signal to me as a prospective employer, this person wants to do this. Yeah, exactly. This person is choosing to be here because they thought about it. I mean, I feel like anyone can relate to that. Like any interviewer can relate to that. I think the days are fading now of resumes where someone's been at the same company for 20 years or, you know, like the IBM man or the GM woman. People (laughs) move from job to job so much more commonly these days. I would encourage this person to be less self-conscious about explaining the lack of continuity in their resume. I really would. Our next listener has an idea of what her dream pivot would be, but is also wondering how practical it is. This is Lauren. Is it actually a good idea to monetize your passion? I've worked in politics for 20 years and am completely burned out. I used to love my job, but haven't for about four years. It's mostly a recession-proof field because elections happen no matter how good or bad the economy is, and I've worked my way up to the top of my firm. There's still room for growth, but I don't want it. I have financial space to figure things out for a bit if my husband keeps his job and good insurance. I want to work at or open a bookstore. It's still cyclical work, and I would still work for or own a small business, but with a completely different schedule for significantly less money. But I wouldn't be trapped in my house, and I would still do client relations and operations management, just about books instead of elections. Or is this just a recipe for hating books in 15 years? Does it make more sense to do a smaller pivot and keep the things we love as hobbies instead of careers? I feel like everyone that I know has dreamed at some point about opening up a bookstore. And that isn't (laughs) to suggest that this listener's question is cliche. It's just to suggest that it seems awesome, 
but also like something that could absolutely implode. And I wonder if what she needs to do is like talk to some people about small business management, right? Mm -hmm. Or like take some small business management, like a class to like see if that's something that she feels like she can handle. Because if you have that, those tools, right? then it's far less likely to become this source of burnout and overwhelm. A hundred percent. I so agree with that. That is very practical advice. I was going to give sort of like larger sort of philosophical advice. Yeah. um, Because I sort of was struck how she was like, is this a recipe for hating books in 15 Mm -hmm. years? I mean, I just want to clear one thing up, speaking for myself. I absolutely have days. I have weeks. Hell, I have had months as a journalist, where I'm like, I cannot do this journalism thing forever and ever. (laughs) Oh, my God, my life sucks right now, right? Just because you find passion in your vocation does not mean it will not involve drudgery, headaches, workplace politics, annoying colleagues, hostile colleagues, all these things that can be very stressful and can infect, even poison the job, right? Mm -hmm. Every job can suck. And it doesn't mean when it is sucky that it's the wrong job. It's the wrong work. So I would encourage this person, like, as you're picking what to do after politics, like, do not approach the universe with this expectation that you are not supposed to ever, ever, ever hate your job. Especially, like, if, if, (laughs) if the outlook is 15 years, that's a really long time. Oh, my God. Do books for 15 years. And if you hate it, if it really comes true that you hate it after a decade and a half, that's good run. Then you get, you get to do something else. It doesn't mean you pick the wrong thing just because it lasted only a decade and a half, right? Right. Um, I guess yeah. what I would ask more, you know, just emotionally is before you even get to this place where you're thinking, I need a change, like ask yourself, are the good days really less than the bad days, right? Just because you have a bad day doesn't cancel out the job. I mean, I think it's more realistic to ask yourself, does the good stuff outweigh the bad stuff? When your bad days do start to outnumber your good days, then you can start thinking about a pivot. But also remember a pivot, it doesn't have to be a 180, right? It doesn't have to mean literally jumping from one professional solar system into a whole other separate solar system. Like, just in my career as a journalist, I've covered different beats. I've gone from criminal justice to politics to economics. I've gone from writing long investigations to quick daily turnaround pieces. I've been a reporter and now I'm a host of a show that's literally called All Things Considered, <laughs> right? Like I'm literally considering all the things every day. Yeah. And and then down the road, there could be an opportunity, I don't know, um, to go more into TV or to write a book. Like I can play with the medium down the road. So what I'm trying to say is like you can have a career transition, but maybe all you need is a career tweak. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we're thinking about what is the perfect work. We're trying to come up with this this singular thing. But a lot of times, just making a couple of adjustments or doing different kinds of projects or maybe working with a different team, moving to a different city, doing that same work can be enough to make the work feel good again. And I just yeah. I just want to remind people of that. No, that's such a good point. I think the other thing that you pointed out too that Sometimes work sucks. I think there is sometimes a tendency to think that if I just quit my job, everything will be fixed. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, But sometimes the problem is more a combination of you (laughs) 
And also the fact that work sometimes just sucks, right? <laughs> As they say, wherever you go, there, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> but, but you know, one thing I was thinking for this question asker is like what, especially since they have a, some financial security, what if they work at a bookstore for a little while? Yeah. I love that idea. What if they also, you know, talk with the owner of the bookstore about like, I want to learn how this works. That's mentorship. I mean, I don't even know if this person's interested in a bookstore specifically. I wasn't sure yeah. if she meant book agent. Maybe she wants to be an oh. editor. But but yeah, that's something that she should explore, all the different ways you can get into the book, the publishing industry, right? Yeah, yeah. Because maybe yeah. there's something that doesn't feel as different than her work now in politics at this firm. Well, and I love, too, that this person's already thinking about how she's she does client relations and operations management and how, like, you can do that in many different industries. Exactly. So maybe it's not books, but maybe it's something else, right? Exactly. Like, you can transfer those skills that you've that you've refined in politics to, to different spheres. Also, like, I mean, we, we've said different versions of this. Like, don't put so much pressure on yourself to pick your forever thing, right? Yes. Like, I feel this way about dating men. Like, <laughs> I never, maybe it's because I'm 47, like, when I meet a new guy, I'm never like, oh, is this the one? Yeah. I think, like, you move through different seasons of lovers, maybe. And just like you might move through different seasons of work life, right? Yeah. I think it's so much pressure to think you have to commit to the thing, the person, the job for the rest of your life. And 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 maybe it'll work out that you find the thing that ends up being the thing until you die. Great. Or the person until you die. Great. But I guess I have now more of this feeling of there's so much room for growth and change and evolution in one lifetime. My God, I... I didn't know myself as a 20-something-year-old the no. way I do now as a 47-year-old. And if I had to commit to the things that I thought I wanted in my 20s, <laughs> it would not be a good life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I have, I'm absolutely there as well. Crooked is raising money for Vote Save America's fuck bans, Leave Queer Kids Alone funds, supporting organizations on the ground in states that are banning care and targeting trans youth. We're so excited to announce that our community has already crushed our $100,000 goal. I contributed, but we won't stop there. You can still donate to either political impact organizations or tax-deductible nonprofits, or both. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbans to learn more and donate today. Our last question is about what makes a career a career anyways, and this is from Claire. I started out working in not-for-profit arts after university, and I enjoyed it until I started to feel burned out and disillusioned about ever making the kind of money that makes security possible. I then studied a master's in journalism. I did well at it, but then for mostly health reasons, I decided not to pursue the high-pressure lifestyle of journalism or media. Now I've ended up working in a professional role at a university in a completely unrelated field. When I describe my career path, it feels like a complete mess and a shambles. I feel embarrassed about talking about what I see as a string of failures. I've always been a high achiever, and I feel like it was expected of me that I'd have a great career. But I feel like I've just had a string of jobs. My question is, how do you describe your career to others when you've done a lot of pivots? And how do you make plans and goals for yourself when the direction seems to be completely random and circumstantial? This is just full circle for us. We're really going is. back to what we were talking about in the beginning. So how? Wh what would your advice be? I would just love to hear that. I think it's a mistake to think about 
a career as this like unit, like this yeah. one thing, right, that defines your your whole lifetime or your whole identity, right? So many people think that my career now as a journalist makes sense given the steps that I took in life from literally law school to the present. Like it all makes sense in retrospect, only in retrospect, because you know, like I said, there's so much overlap between law and journalism, not only in skill set, but also, you know, lawyers ideally fight for the truth. They are vindicators of justice. Like those are things that you also value in journalism. Like for people who understand my quote unquote path in life, it all seems to be like this really logical set of steps. But as I was going through each of those steps, like quitting at the law firm, interning at KQED, I mean, dad came to visit me at KQED and he had just seen me at the law office with a view of the San Francisco Bay and a legal assistant sitting outside my office helping me file things. And here now I'm in at, in an intern cubicle. I mean, in his mind, I remember watching his face when he visited me at my internship. He just looked so crestfallen. Like, what is, what is my daughter doing? She's lost. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I was lost. Like, I thought there could be a chance I'm lost. So I know like in the moment as you're feeling like you're jumping from stepping stone to stepping stone, it can feel like these illogical zigzags. I know that. I know what Mm -hmm. that feels like. And I would say just go easier on yourself because a career can be made up of so many different things. It's boring to me when I meet someone who has only done one thing or worked at one company or literally had one role their entire life. That's less interesting to me. And so think of your your life as it stretches ahead, not as a career, but as a string of work experiences that helped you be a fuller person. That's That's the goal, isn't it? I love your point about just being easier on yourself. And I think this is something that, you know, this question asker notes that she is a high achiever. She probably had some notion in her head of what her future path would look like. Right. But life is full of things that we do not expect. A hundred percent. And I think that this person is probably a, a much more interesting and textured person, right? Because of the different pivots that she's taken in her life. Absolutely. The the advice I always give, especially to high achievers, to overachievers, is be prepared to throw out the plan. It's often with high achievers and overachievers where you find, you have these people with these very like laid out plans and they're so used to executing their plans. But like I said, like, you know, going full circle, when I graduated from law school, finished that clerkship on the Ninth Circuit and got spit out into the real world, I checked all the boxes. I followed the plan. Yeah. And still you don't get to that even more important question of what makes you happy? And that's when the plan, it's so unimportant. And, you know, I will tell, this is the last thing I'll say to this person. I have been asked by Stanford Law School at least three times now to be a speaker. I came back for a reunion one year. Another year, I was the keynote speaker for their graduation dinner. Another year, I was the convocation speaker. I would have never been asked to speak at Stanford Law School, I am convinced, if I remained a lawyer. That's what's so ironic. The reason (laughs) I... The whole reason I'm interesting now to my alma mater, the only reason that I'm shiny to them and that I have something to say is because I diverged from the path. 
yeah. that I dumped the plan, that I did something unexpected. That made me to them someone who had something to offer in terms of yeah. insights on life. And I just was like, that's just hilarious, you know. Oh, I yeah. had like a profile in the alumni magazine. I would never be profiled if I was still at the law firm. <laughs> I would just be a dime a dozen, right? <laughs> so totally. be different. Be bold. Be different. It's going to turn out all for the better. Yeah. Well, and I think we should address, too, that last part of the question about just, you know, she generally feels like it's difficult to make plans or goals when her career feels random and circumstantial. And I think my advice in situations like this is, like, that's okay if your job feels random and circumstantial. You know, this is something that we say on the podcast a lot, but, like, you can make plans and set goals and be ambitious in ways that have nothing to do with your job. Right. So whether that's, like, an interest, like volunteering or a hobby or being part of a community like all of those things can be like those are the things that you can start to make plans for I love that you're saying this Anne, because that for me is a new development in my own life I used to think yep. of ambition as like you know you win the awards you do the big stories you do like these concrete things but now I see like Ambition is so much bigger than that. You can be ambitious about living a better life, treating the people you love more kindly, treating yourself more kindly, like mm -hmm. doing, you can call them hobbies or just whatever, pursuing outside interests. Like work doesn't have to be the center of your life to be an ambitious person. Yeah. You can be ambitious about wanting to be greedier about living the fullest life possible. That is yeah. all ambition. So I'm glad you said that because I think we can get so zeroed in on like what is the work that's going to maximize who I am. Well, there are ways outside of work to do that as well. That is a great place for us to, to wrap up. So where can people find you on the internet but also on the radio waves if they want to find you? <laughs> okay. Well, on most days, I start going live at 4 p.m. Eastern on a show called All Things Considered on NPR. And everybody, wherever you live, you all have different radio stations that tune into NPR. But usually, you know, I'm on 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., depending on what time zone you are. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. I'll say that you're my companion from around 4.30 until 5.45 every afternoon oh, while cool. I prep for dinner and just like piddle around the house. So that is, I, it's been a real pleasure and delight to have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at cricket.com. Some episodes we're working on include problems with taking a much-needed vacation, juggling parenthood with work, and making caring professions more sustainable. We are taking a break next week. There are like 30 different people that are descending upon the island where I live, and we're going to all hang out and it's going to be wild and crazy in like the you know we're 42 sort of way but we'll be back july 12th with an episode all about working while disabled be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it and in the meantime follow us at crooked media on instagram and twitter for more original content host takeovers and other community events you can follow me on instagram at ann helen peterson and you can sign up for my newsletter culture study at annhelen.substack.com and if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. 
Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Allison Falsetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Oh,